You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. I am going to just jump right in, okay? We are... uh... I don't want to keep us all too long today because I know there's graduation stuff to get to get to this afternoon for many uh, here. So I'm going to just jump quite right quick into a review on Jonah. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in it. We've only got two more uh, Sundays together where we are finishing up the book. We're in chapter four. And, um, and so I just want to do a quick review to kind of remind us where we're at. Uh, so last time we were on it, Jonah was spit up on dry land. God, in his mercy, through an unconventional way, provided transportation for Jonah back to dry land after he was on the ship going the wrong way. God sent the storm. Sailors threw him overboard. God snatches him up with a fish, brings him back to dry land. So in order to accomplish the mission that God sent Jonah on, he provided a means and way for his transportation to get him back in the right direction, going in the right direction, but he still had a ways to go. He still had to walk to go. And a reminder for us that where God guides, he provides. And oftentimes, though, there's still steps that we need to take. Jonah 3, 2 reminds us of this. God telling Jonah after he'd just been vomited up on the beach, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Then through what appears, if you recall, a half-hearted effort of proclaiming that message that God sent him to proclaim to Nineveh. Remember, God's It was a three-day walk through the city. Jonah proclaimed the message only on the first day. So it was like only a 33% effort here. Proclaimed the message on the first day, but then the Ninevites respond. And word gets all the way to the king, and everybody from the king to the livestock put on sackcloth and fast in an outward expression of them wanting to repent for what they had been doing. And the king even saying, if you recall, hey, who knows? Maybe this God, maybe God would relent and not destroy us. And then as we concluded that message, we pulled out three truths from it. Those three truths were these sin will incur God's wrath. Sin deserves the righteous wrath of God. It does. If he was not a God who judged sin and punished sin, he would also not be a God of mercy and love. He can't let that slide. Just like we would not want it to slide if somebody were to come into our house and hurt somebody we love to hurt us. We would want the laws of the land to protect us and provide justice in that. Second off, God's mercy is available for everyone. Everyone. Ninevites being a classic example of that. And then true repentance is a heart condition. True repentance being heart condition of Jonas. Was he really repentant when he was praying that prayer in the well? Or the great fish? Those couple of days before he was thrown up on the beach? Were the Ninevites truly repentant? Did we see a change of heart and mind in their attitude as they repented? It's really about a heart condition. And as that heart condition changes and transforms, it affects our behavior so there would be fruit from it. And as you guys may have heard before or remember in previous sermons, we've talked about this. 
How we behave is based exactly on what we believe. So what we believe directly affects how we behave in the choices we make. So as we continue this morning, like I said, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, would you stand with me if you're willing and able? Let's read these first four verses of the chapter together. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Amen. You may be seated. Once again, we see here where Jonah takes another turn for the worse. In chapter 1, Jonah ran from God's direct order to go to Nineveh and proclaim the message. Then God got his attention through the storm. The pagan sailors saved him from drowning by way of being the main menu item for a great fish. Then in chapter 2, Jonah prayed, appeared to repent, appeared to begin to follow through. And then as we saw last time we were in Jonah... It was only half-hearted, a heart not fully surrendered to God. It's like a heart that's got rooms in it. Compare it maybe to the rooms of our house. You invite somebody over, somebody's coming, all of a sudden you're trying to throw everything and stuff everything into that one room. That one drawer, that garage, or whatever it is. Right now it's my garage at my house. Just throwing everything in there so everything appears to be nice and neat and clean and orderly, right? And we conveniently don't invite our guests into that room or that garage. Yeah, you don't want to see in there. Do we do this with our hearts with God? Are there rooms, spaces in our hearts that we keep the door locked not wanting to invite God in, not, not willing to surrender to Him. See, I think that's what Jonah's doing here. I believe in Jonah's heart that he might have surrendered some of the rooms of his heart, but not all. He still had a room or two that he was unwilling to unlock and let God in and let God's will encompass. Can you relate to Jonah in this like I can? Maybe it's a relationship that we have that we know is not healthy. You're afraid of being alone so you settle for someone and then you settle for how far you are willing to go physically with that person outside of marriage. Maybe that someone that this relationship is with is not your spouse, but you're fostering relationship there. You're, you're letting your heart wander, your mind wander too far. Or maybe even a friend that's a bad influence 
and you know it, but you keep choosing to be around them more than you should. You know they're influencing more, you more than you and your walk and your faith are influencing them. Maybe the room that we've got locked in a heart has to do with our finances. Do we trust God enough to give back to Him that which He entrusts to us to manage? See, He's the source of all things for us. What about our free time? Do we mostly use it for serving God, loving others and serving others? Or do we find ourselves pining away our free time on binge-watching Netflix or going to the next concert or you fill in the blank? Or do we pray instead for wisdom to have a God-pleasing balance of how we should use our free time? See, God desires all of our hearts. And Jesus died for those cluttered rooms in our hearts as well. He's not afraid of the mess. And so we should ask ourselves, are we all in? Are we all in? Are the doors open to those spaces in our heart? Are they unlocked? Are we willing to let him come in and transform it, straighten it up, organize it, clean it, surrendering ourselves to His will. Why else would God ask us to take up our cross and follow Him, as He did in Luke 9.23? Why else would He ask us to forsake the world and all that it has to offer, like it says in 1 John 2.15-17? He desires and wants all of our hearts And not so that he can be the brutal critic father, the condemning judge, but so that he can be the loving father and provide for us that which is what is best for us because he knows what that is even when we don't, which most of the time we we probably don't. Because Jonah did not surrender all of his heart to God, in verse 1, he was greatly displeased displeased and became furious. Then in his anger he prayed, which I feel like is a good and healthy response when we are angry to pray. God's not scared of our anger. I mean, what are we going to do to him? (laughs) We should take our anger and our frustration to God. He cares more than we can. He cares more than we do. And he can administer justice. Those things which might be making us angry. He can administer that far more righteously and effectively than we can. Jonah continues. He prays, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. It's almost like Jonah's offering up an excuse here. Do you hear that? It's like, God, I told you so. This is what I thought would happen. This is why I ran. Don't you think I'm justified now in running? This is not somebody who is fully surrendered to God. This is 
this is the behavior of somebody who is continuing to lob excuses for why they're not doing what they should be doing, what God has asked them to do. This is not somebody who has truly repented. And then just as a reminder, or for those of you who are new to the series, in the last couple of weeks, Jonah's reason was because of the Ninevites. The Ninevites being an oppressive, terrorist, violent, vile nation. And that was who God called him to go proclaim the message. It was a reason that Jonah felt justified in. These are people, God, that have oppressed us, who have killed us, who have kidnapped us, who have tortured us. And you want me to go ask them to repent. Don't they deserve punishment? Don't we deserve justice? Jonah was hoping for another Sodom and Gomorrah here where God rained down fire from heaven and destroyed the whole city except for one family like he did in Genesis 18. See, Jonah in his pride and what he believed acted out this way, had this attitude, had this anger towards God because he believed that he and his people, the Hebrews, were of more value than the Ninevites. Let's pause here for a second and meditate on this. Do we believe that about ourselves sometimes? Do we believe that we are of more value and worth than other people? We might have a quick answer of no, but let's, let's go deeper into this. What about those who need or even manipulate assistance from the government or others? Welfare. Medicaid. Medicare. You name it. Do we think we're better than them because we don't need it? Are we frustrated that they're getting these benefits? Are we frustrated at them and so we kind of kind of look down at them? At least I'm not like them, Lord. But are we really better than them of more worth? What about those who appear to make worse choices than we do? I mean, that kind of t-shirt's pretty evident out there right now, right? You can get one at almost any Walmart where there's a t-shirt slamming somebody else indicating that they might be stupid or dumb or I'm smarter or better. Are we really better than them? What about those from another country or culture? A different skin color, speak a different language. Are we of more worth and value? Our sister church in Knoll that I hope many of us will be able to be there at their ice cream social, they specifically reach out to these other people groups. They have three services now. and We talked about this last week, but I want to say it again. They have an Hispanic service in the morning. At 2 o'clock, they have a Karen service. And then at 4 o'clock, they now have a, a Marshallese or a, a, I forget the exact name, but it's basically a Marshall Island people now have a service meeting in this building. 
I love what Josh is doing over there in his heart for the nations. That's why we support them. But surely, we're better than they are because we were born here. You see, each one of us defaults towards sin and self-promotion, much like the gravitational pull of the earth. You say, well, Matt, where do you get that from? Well, I've got a list of verses. Psalms 51.5, Jeremiah 17.9, Ephesians 2.3, Romans 7.18, 1 John 1.8. This isn't my idea. This is God's. We default towards sin if we put it in cruise control or coast. And in case you haven't noticed, gravity always wins, right? And it wins even more the older we get, right? Because we get lower. <laughs> Parts on us get lower. <laughs> I won't continue down that path. Our sinful nature will also always win if left unredeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and intentionally fought against. And that sinful nature will separate us from God for all eternity. Everything is in the balance. I think the key point here is that we must always keep in mind that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to seek and to save the Israelites or the Americans or the English-speaking or the white or the black or the whatever. He came to seek and to save everybody who was lost. Guess what? We all fit into that category. We all fit into that category. And when Jesus was here, he specifically reached out and ministered to and went to the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, and the needy. That includes you, me, everyone. The only difference, really, in all of us, and again, this is something I've said before, is whether we are saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ or we are not yet. And Lord willing, those who aren't will be. That is the primary difference. Not where we were born, not our education level. Fill in the blank. For God so loved the world, so Christ came to die for every human being. Every human being. Every human being. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying this because we, we get moving along and we forget. And somebody cuts us off and all of a sudden we think we have more value and worth than they do on the road at that point in time. And so we have thoughts about them. Feelings about that person, right? Every human being of every race, of every color, of every culture, every class, every income level, every ability, every disability. Did I miss anybody? Just in case. Every man, woman, health condition, of every age, every marital status, 
everyone. And listen, if we, if we are in this category where we have chosen to confess and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and his blood is what God sees when he looks at us instead of our brokenness and our sin, our fruit, our fruit should look like loving those who are not, not looking down our nose at them, not avoiding them. Our fruit should look like the hands and feet of Jesus going to where they are, helping them and how we are able to help them. If it's in our home, with, like we talked about on Mother's Day, the little heathens we're raising. If it's our neighbors. If it's at Crosslines. Y'all, they need help. Every day they could use folks this summer. Some of you don't even know what you're doing this summer yet. I don't know. I know there's somebody, but she's helping out in the in nursery today. I was talking to her last night about it. I was like, hey, go help out Crosslands. You don't know what you're doing? They need help sorting clothes, organizing toys. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not doing. I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back. I'm there on Wednesdays. I'm helping out, hand out food. Not to look at down my nose at anybody, but to say, you know what? This is what Jesus would do. How can we love and be a light for him? Do we view and treat everyone with love and compassion? Do we really? Continuing on in our passage, next Jonah quotes God against himself. At the end of verse 2, straight out of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. God, you are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in faithful love. You are the one who relents from sending disaster. All are true. Those are all true. Here Jonah, though, missed the chance to pray that God would fill him up with those same attributes. God, help me be loving and compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Help me see the Ninevites as you see them. How easily we forget these attributes about God like Jonah did. His free and gracious, merciful gift to us that we do not deserve. We're the messy, cluttered rooms that God died for. And went to the cross for us on long before we ever started to attempt to organize or clean them. A quick sidebar, I must draw attention to this. Jonah is the only other person in Scripture besides Satan that I have come across to quote God against himself. That's not good company, is it? Satan did this to Christ when he was tempting him in the wilderness in Matthew 4. The mishandling of Scripture. The warning in this is, is that the temptation is we could take text from Scripture and use it to say or prove that we are right in something rather than it being about changing us or us growing. 
See, we should never feel more righteous or proud. I, I told you so attitude when we study scripture or go into scripture to study it and learn it. It shouldn't be about so that I can prove somebody wrong. It should actually be more about so that I can grow. I should feel more humbled after studying scripture. I should feel more encouraged after studying scripture. I should feel exhorted or critiqued after studying scripture. So then Jonah throws down this ultimatum for God. Choose the Ninevites or choose me. If you're going to choose them, then kill me. Again, before we get too judgmental about Jonah and his attitude, thank the Lord that our lives and our attitudes and our thoughts are not recorded for all eternity in Scripture. After everything that Jonah had went through, that we first read about from chapter 1, verse 1 to this point, He comes back full circle to his pride in his country and origin, being of what which is most important to him, rather than serving God. As Tim Keller puts it, Jonah's sense of loss and depression was due to the fact that he did not get that which was most important to him. Now that hit me like a bullseye these last few weeks as I was preparing for this, you know, Gary spoke and we had Mother's Day and so I've been ruminating on this one for a while. What do I feel loss and depression over if it's gone or doesn't go my way? Is that an idol for me? Instead of God being that which is most important to me, for Jonah, his nationalism, that was his main source of joy and pride. His identity hinged on him being a Hebrew, a people whose God was the one true God. Instead, he should have hinged his identity on the one true God. So since God was choosing to not destroy the Ninevites, the people who had killed, threatened, tortured, done horrible things, to his people, Jonah no longer had purpose or reason for living. So, kill me. Jonah's pride remained rooted in his heart like the creepy crawling vines on the trees all around my property. Do you guys have that? Is that a Missouri thing? I've been trying to figure these things out. And it takes some serious work and effort to get rid of them. And I don't know that you can actually ever get rid of them. I've researched it online. I've been talking to people. I mean, I'm out in my out in the yard like pulling them off every week when I mow. I'm like, no, you can't take this tree. I like this tree. No, I'm not going to let you have this tree. I'm praying explicatory psalms on them like in Psalm 52, 5. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent in the ground. He will uproot you from the land of the living. I'm not alone in this, am I? I am? Okay. Yes, that's me. <laughs> These things are nasty. And see, there are some that are way up. Like, I've got them, like, up to, like, 12 foot. And then there's some up above that that are still up there in these two main trees in the front of our house. 
One tree I don't know if I'm ever going to get back. These creepy crawling vines is like our pride left unchecked. Like that gravitational pull to default to sin and self. It just keeps coming back. Keeps coming back. You can cut them out. You can rip them off. You can drop poison on the ends of them. And they just keep coming back. And guys, we have to work at surrendering our heart to God like that. We have to work at overcoming our pride like that. And our hard work in this, like the hard work on those vines, it's it's a weekly thing on those vines. It's a daily moment-by-moment thing in our heart. And our hard work in that is drawing close to the one true God. That our worth and identity would hinge on Him and be about Him. And guys, we go about that through our prayer to Him. We go about that through intentionally going to His Word on a regular basis. We go about that by gathering together here and walking with each other, arm in arm, encouraging each other, supporting each other, praying for each other. When God is who and what we value most. Who we place our trust in, our identity and value, our source for ultimate joy and satisfaction, we can have peace amidst the trials and temptations that will come our way. We can be content in spite of things not going how we might want them to do. We don't go down the same trail that Jonah did. We can have Joy, because God is unchanging. And He has already died the death that we deserve. You see, when we put our value and hope and trust in the One who is unchanging, the One who never lies, the One who created us, the One who saved us, it's a win. It's a win, period. It's not going to fluctuate like our feelings. It's not going to fluctuate like how much we like our job right now or not. It's not going to fluctuate based off of other people's view of us. It's not going to fluctuate on whether or not we think some things are getting the justice it deserves. It is a constant. Because He is constant. Like a healthy tree free from the strangling vines of pride and sin. In this temporary body, this temporary life pales in comparison to the eternity waiting for those who choose him, who confess their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And then we can trust God as Jonah acknowledged because he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. Praise God that he is slow to anger. He should have killed me a long time ago. God is abounding in faithful love. God is the one who relents from sending disaster. So God, 
because he is all those things, responds to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? You see, my temptation would be, oh, so you want to die? Sure. (laughs) I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. You want to? Fine. (laughs) But God is so merciful. Is it right for you to be angry? You can almost, it's not like this condescending, you can almost just hear Jonah blowing up at God in his prayer and bowing up on him and God just sitting there and listening. Leg crossed. Jonah, is it really right for you to be angry? Just a gentle, loving, merciful response. The commentary on this verse, if if I were to write the commentary of it, This isn't scripture, so don't take it as such. It's almost like God would be saying, Jonah, shouldn't you have placed your love and identity and value in me instead? But because you didn't, you're angry, and your anger is sinful. Oh, what mercy from God. This morning, maybe... You're like me over these last few weeks of studying for this. Of You find yourself relating far more closely to Jonah in these things than you would prefer or wish. Maybe you realize you're not quite all in. There are rooms in your heart where pride has closed the door and locked it. Keeping God out. And God in his mercy because he didn't create robots allows us to do that, allows us to choose him or reject him. Maybe you're convicted in how you have viewed or treated others, recognizing that the sin and pride in your life, you've not dealt with it. So it is creeping up and around you, strangling you from hope, from joy, thinking that your value and worth is better because you're putting others down. Just like those vines that try to choke out the trees and will if left unattended. Is there something in your life that you have lost and so you're in a place of grief and there are appropriate griefs, absolutely. But it's consuming you Because God is not your hope and your purpose and your identity, that thing was. And you just don't know how to crawl out of it. Maybe you haven't experienced that loss yet. I promise you, you will. Because again, God is the only thing eternal and constant and unchanging. I hope this morning is God's response for Jonah. That merciful, loving, quiet response. And see, several thousand years later, God responds for all humanity through Jesus Christ 
on the cross. A merciful, loving, gracious response. By sending his son to live here, to die here, to live a perfect life, to feel everything that we feel. And yet, by his own submission, choosing to go to the cross on our behalf. This is the hope that we have, that we need to remind ourselves of each day, that we need to cling to and run to with more effort than if we were trying to eliminate vines crawling up the trees in our yard. So, as we close, the guys are going to pull up a song, and and I'd like for you to ponder one or all of these during this song. There'll be words for the song on the slide, and just, we go and we go and we do and we do, and our schedules are crazy. And sometimes, we just need somebody to help us push the pause button for a minute. So we'll actually stop and do some business with God. And as we taste that, my prayer is that you would want more of that throughout your busy week. And you would carve that time out. If it's saying no to extra sleep or saying no to extra things on your schedule so that you can have that time with him. Am I all in? And guys, I'm no better than anybody else here. I have to ask myself these things too. Am I all in? Are there parts of my heart I have not surrendered to him? Am I tempted to view or treat others less than of myself? And do I trust and believe that God truly is who he says he is? Unimaginably merciful. So, Father, right now, I pray that that would be true of our hearts. We would open up our hands and lift them to you, to the sky, offering all of we are. And replacing it with the immeasurable goodness and love and grace and mercy incomparable treasure of all that you are. Father, if there is anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray they would delay no more. They would choose you. As simple as acknowledging in their hearts that they can't do it without you. That it's only you that can save them. It is only by your grace. And then to trust and believe in you with their whole heart, desiring to follow you with the rest of their life. Those of us who have needed the reminders from Jonah this morning, God, that we would be inspired to wake up each day with arms and hands lifted high and empty, asking you to fill it. 
Thank you for your mercy, God. When we behave poorly because we believe wrongly, when we let the vines of pride creep up and choke out the joy and the life that you freely give, Kill those vines, God. Remove them from our lives. That we would be about the business of surrendering to you daily and following you always. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We give you this morning and our time together, Lord. Let us go with a new compassion and love for those around us beginning here and beyond to restaurants, to our homes, to the graduations, to our workplaces, to whatever you have in store for us, that we would go with a new compassion and love for those you bring into our lives, recognizing that you love them and you came to save them just like you did us, that we might be your hands and feet we might share your love with them. In your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen.